A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of God for the people of God. A little while back, I had a really weird week. And to understand why I had such a weird week, you need to know about a thing that happened in a United Methodist Church in Minnesota. So out in Minnesota, there was this, this little United Methodist Church that's been struggling for a long time. This church has been getting smaller and smaller and older and older for years. And that's not unusual. A lot of churches, a lot of United Methodist churches have been getting smaller and smaller and older and older. This church, it got down to the point where they had maybe 20-odd people on a, on a typical Sunday morning in worship. And that's really not all that unusual for a United Methodist Church. The thing that made this church stand out, the thing that made this church unusual, is that this church was located in a community that was growing and thriving. This church was located in one of the fastest growing neighborhoods, one of the fastest growing communities in all of Minnesota. The neighborhood, the community around the church was getting uh, younger and younger families and children were moving in next door to the church. And so by every indication, by all rights, this church should have been growing. It should have been thriving. Business ministry should have been booming in this congregation. And the United Methodist Church leaders kept trying to figure out what was happening in this church, why it wasn't growing for years. They tried to nudge and encourage the people of this congregation to get out into their neighborhood, to meet the people who were moving into their community, to be in ministry in their city, in their community. And what they discovered as they worked with this congregation for years and years is that the people in this church just weren't interested in doing that. People in the church resisted every effort to pry them out of the pews and get them out into the neighborhood. People said, listen, all we want to do is get together with our friends for an hour on Sunday morning. Please don't ask us to do anything else. And so finally, the church leadership, they realized that the writing was on the wall. They realized that it was time to take drastic action or they were just going to watch this church in a thriving community dwindle down to nothing. And so they, they, this is what they decided to do. A few weeks back, they announced that they were going to restart the church like a, a computer that was misbehaving. They were going to turn the church off and then turn it back on again. They announced that they were going to close the church for a few months and they were going to send in a, a new pastor to the community, a pastor who had lots of experience with reaching new people and with starting ministries and starting new churches. And they were going to let this pastor meet people in the neighborhood and put together a team of people who were really excited about being in ministry in the community and 
and being a part of the neighborhood. And then after a few months, they were going to reopen that church with, with new energy and new vision and new ministry and, and new leadership. They announced that to the people of the church, and you can probably imagine what happened next. It's not easy to hear that your church is closing. It's not easy to hear that your church is struggling to the point where where people think the best thing to do is to shut the doors for a few months and let somebody else give it a try. It's not easy. It's not easy to hear that, particularly from church leaders. And so when people got that news that the church was, was closing for a little while, they were hurt and they were angry. And you know what sometimes happens when people are hurting? Sometimes hurt people hurt people. And so that's what happened. Somebody in the congregation reached out to a reporter, and they gave an interview, and the reporter wrote a story, and the headline on the story was, Struggling Church Ushers Out Old People in an Effort to Attract Younger Parishioners. That was the headline of the story. It was inflammatory. It was one-sided. The article was filled with errors and inaccuracies and things that just weren't true. They accused the United Methodist Church of age discrimination. They accused the church leadership of wanting to get rid of everybody who had any gray hair. They accused the church of of hypocrisy and all sorts of things. And, and even though it didn't accurately reflect exactly what was happening in the community, of course, the article went viral. Within just a few hours, it was all over the internet and all over social media, and people were outraged. How could they do this? How could they get rid of all of the grandmas and the grandpas who've been supporting the church so faithfully through the years? That article went everywhere, and that's when my week got weird. Because you see, the pastor who the United Methodist Church sent into that community, this pastor who had all this experience starting new ministries and reaching new people, that pastor, that pastor was Pastor Jeremy Peters. Not this Pastor Jeremy Peters, a, a completely different United Methodist pastor named Jeremy Peters. Apparently, most United Methodist pastors are named Jeremy Peters. Who knew? <laughs> And so suddenly I started getting all of these messages from people. I started getting messages from people saying, I didn't know you moved to Minnesota. When did you leave Flint? I thought you were still in Michigan. I started getting messages from people with my gray-haired friends saying, Pastor Jeremy, would you really kick me out of your church? I started getting requests for information and further comment from media people who confused me with the other Pastor Jeremy Peters. And so I had to spend a couple days answering all these messages and saying, no, that's not me. No, I'm still in Flint. No, I'm in Michigan. No, there really is a whole other pastor, Jeremy Peters. And then just when I thought I had the situation under control, things got even weirder. I got a message from a friend of mine. He sent me a a link to a website. He said, you probably better take a look at this. And so I clicked on the link And suddenly there I was staring back at me, my picture looking back at me from the computer screen. And below this great big picture of me, there was a headline. And the headline read like this. It said, irony, pastor who wants to get rid of old people supports LGBT inclusion. (laughs) Here's what happened. There was a blogger, one of these people who spends his time writing articles attacking people and criticizing and tearing down people who he doesn't consider to be Christian in all of the right ways. And he saw the story about this thing that happened in Minnesota, and he said, you know, I'm going to see if I can dig up any dirt on this pastor, Jeremy Peters. And so he Googled United Methodist pastor, Jeremy Peters, and guess what he found? He found us. He found, he found our church website. He found our church Facebook 
Facebook page. He found my Facebook page. He found an interview that Pastor Christie and I gave to the East Village magazine a, a few months ago. And then he assumed that this Pastor Jeremy Peters was the same as that other Pastor Jeremy Peters. And he said, aha, he said, I've got a juicy scoop. And then he wrote this article that painted a picture of Court Street Church. And this is the picture that it painted, that here you have a congregation that is driving all of the seniors out of the pews in order to make way, make room for, for all of the LGBT people. We are, are hoping are going to flood into the church. And it accused us of hypocrisy, and the article accused us of bad theology, and it said all sorts of mean and nasty things about us. This article attacked me, and it attacked Pastor Christie, and it attacked Court Street, and it attacked the United Methodist Church. There was an awful lot of attacking going on in this article. And you can imagine maybe how I felt as I was, as I was reading this article. I, I would like to say that I felt righteously indignant on your behalf, but what I really felt was angry. I felt angry that, that somebody was attacking us. I felt angry that somebody was telling untruths and half-truths about Court Street United Methodist Church. I felt angry that this person who I'd never met, this person who'd never been to Flint, would write an article like this trying to drag Court Street United Methodist Church and the people who serve here through the mud. I was angry, and maybe you can guess what I wanted to do in that moment when I was feeling angry. You got it, Andy. Lift up those hands and show everybody that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted I wanted to hit back. I wanted to share this article all over the internet and expose this person and the error that he had made. I wanted to dig up dirt. I wanted to look up his Facebook page and see if I could find any pictures to use in the article that I was going to write. I wanted to get into a fight with him about his theology. I wanted to, I wanted to hit back. I wanted to fight fire with fire. I wanted to do all sorts of things, but I didn't do any of those things. Why did I not do any of those things? Because fighting fire with fire is the way of this world. And Jesus calls us to a different way. Hitting back when people hurt us is the way of this world. And Jesus calls us to a better way. He calls us to a more gentle way. In this morning's scripture reading, in this passage from the, the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. And this is what Jesus says to the crowds and his disciples. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't fight fire with fire. Don't fight hurting with hurting. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, then turn the left cheek also. If somebody takes the shirt off your back, then give them your trousers as well. And you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Seek to have within yourself the love of God our Father who makes the sun to shine on the righteous and the wicked alike. Seek to have within you the perfect love of God our Father. This is the way that Jesus tells us. And I've got to confess, I've got to be honest with you, I struggle with this just as much as anybody else does. I have been working at loving my enemies and people who hurt me for years now, and I'm not any better at it than any of the rest of us are. I still find it hard. I still get angry. I still want to hurt people. I still find it to be a struggle. But in all of these years of trying to live out these words of Jesus, I have learned a thing or two. I have learned some practical steps that you can take to make this commandment of Jesus just a little bit easier. I want to share these with you this morning. And I don't often say this on a Sunday morning, but you may want to grab a pencil because I guarantee that this information is going to come in handy at some point in your life. Go ahead and, and write these down if you're somebody who struggles with loving your enemies in the same way that I do. 
So here's what I've learned. When somebody lashes out at me, when somebody tries to hurt me, the first thing I do is this. I take a deep breath, and I remind myself that hurt people hurt people. You know, the the writer and theologian Richard Rohr has said that people tend to do one of two things when they're hurting, one of two things with their pain, pain. They either transform it or they transmit it. And when somebody is lashing out, when somebody goes out of their way to hurt another human being, that's almost always because they are carrying some deep loneliness, some deep pain, some deep burden in their heart, and they don't know how to carry it, and they don't know how to share it in a healthy way, and so they start sharing it in unhealthy ways. When somebody lashes out at us, that's almost always a sign that they themselves are hurting. And so when somebody lashes out at me, when somebody tries to hurt me, I take a deep breath, and then I do the thing that Jesus commands us to do. I pray, I pray for the person who is persecuting me. I pray that God will heal whatever pain they're experiencing. I pray that God will walk beside them so they don't feel as lonely as they seem to be feeling. I pray that God will lift some of the burden off of their shoulders that they have been carrying. And as I pray for that person, this thing happens over and over again. This miraculous thing happens where the the anger that I'm feeling begins to transform into something more like compassion. That anger begins to fade away. And once that anger fades away, that's when you're ready for the second step. And the second step is exactly the same as the first step. You take a deep breath and you remind yourself that hurt people hurt people. And you remember that when you yourself are hurting, when you yourself are feeling in pain, when you yourself are feeling attacked, that's a bad time to be making decisions. That's a bad time to reach for the keyboard. That's a bad time to be on social media. That's a bad time to be interacting with the person who has been trying to hurt you. And so instead, what you do in that moment is you work on healing your own hurting. And so the other week when I read this article and this person attacked me and attacked us, what I did was I reached out to my friends. I reached out to those people who I know will drop everything and care for me and pray for me at a moment's notice. And as I talked to them and as they they went through this experience with me, as I shared this pain in a healthy way, the pain began to dissipate. It got lighter and lighter. And once the pain has faded away, that's when you're ready for the really hard stuff. That's when you're ready for the third step. That's when you're ready to interact with the person who has tried to hurt you. This is the turn the other cheek part. This is the give them your coat part. This is the see how much kindness and graciousness you can muster in interacting with this person who only showed you violence part. And so here's what I did the other week. I got out my internet and my keyboard and I looked up the email address for this blogger who had written the article about me. And then I sat down and I tried to write the kindest, most gracious, but not passive aggressive letter that I could write to this person. I sat down and this is how I started the letter. I said, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because that's straight out of the Bible and I figured that was probably safe. If the Apostle Paul could start a letter that way, so could I. And, and then I, after that I, I said, here's the reason I'm writing and I introduced myself and I let him know about the error that that he had made and I let him know that I was certain that the error was entirely unintentional and then I said I said I hope that we can correct this error in a spirit of grace and a spirit of kindness and then I said I want you to know the truth about Court Street United Methodist Church I said I want you to know that at Court Street United Methodist Church when we say that God loves all people we really do mean that God loves all people not just LGBT people not just straight people not just young people not just seniors all people are welcome in our pews. We don't kick people out. As a matter of fact, we had a whole sermon series just last year about how wonderful it is to have seniors and people with gray hair in the church and the wisdom and the gifts and the leadership that they can bring. And so after I told him the truth about Court Street Church, then 
Then I said, I would appreciate it if you would pray for us and our neighbors here in Flint, and I wish you the best in, in your ministry, which I thought was a nice way to close the letter. And then, and, then I, and then I pushed send, and then I braced myself, because here's the thing about the way of Jesus. In order to walk in the gentle way of Jesus, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to get hit a second time. We have to be willing to, to have violence return for kindness. There were a lot of ways that this, this person could have responded to my letter. He could have ignored my letter. He could have written me a nasty and snarky letter back. He could have used my letter as the material for his next blog posting with the headline, Snowflake Pastor Gets Hurt by Blogger Who Made Completely Innocent Error. He could have done a lot of things. He could have done a lot of things with the email that I sent him. And so I braced myself and got ready for what was going to happen next. And this is what happened next. Just a few minutes after I clicked send, I got a response from this, this person. And you know what he did? He apologized. It wasn't a great apology, but it was an apology. He, he apologized. It wasn't a specific apology, but it was an apology. He apologized and then said, I'm going to correct the, the error. I'm going to fix the post. And so I looked, and sure enough, he had taken down, taken down the post, which isn't the same as fixing the post or admitting that you got it wrong, but still it's something. He took down the post, and so I sent him another letter, and I said, thank you very much. I really appreciate you getting on top of this so quickly. And then he sent me a message back, and he said, he said no problem. He said, I hope we did didn't give you a bad day. And then I, I, it was a weird day, but it wasn't a bad day. I sent, <laughs> I sent the message back to him and I said, not at all. I said, you didn't, you didn't give me a bad day. As a matter of fact, I said, you, you warmed my heart. It warms my heart to know that when people try to look me up and when people try to look up Court Street United Methodist Church, the first thing they discover is that this is a church that proclaims that God loves all people and all means all. I'm so glad you helped us get that message out there, even for just, for just a few hours. I said, I said, you didn't give me a bad day. What you gave me is a great story that I am totally going to use in a sermon one of these days. <laughs> and here's the thing. There's, there's not a real like Hollywood happy ending to this story. This, this blogger and I, we didn't become buddies. And nobody had a real change of heart. Nobody, nobody changed their theology because of these conversations that we had. He might be out there typing in his next attack article against somebody right now for, for all I know. There's no Hollywood happy ending to this story. But when I compare this story to the cycle of violence that we see in the headlines, to the cycles of violence that happen in our own lives, to the cycles of violence that happen all around us in our community. When I compare this story to the things that happen every day in this world, I remain convinced that the way of Jesus is better than the way of this world. And I remain convinced that the way of Jesus is the only hope that this world has of ever finding peace. I remain convinced that walking in the way of Jesus is the only way we're going to find eternal life. And I only hope that God will give me the courage to do it again next time. Let's pray. God, give us courage. God, give us strength because the things that you have asked us to do are not easy. And God, we pray that you would help us to seek not a Hollywood happy ending but to chip away at the violence and the hurting in this world one day at a time, one conversation at a time, one person at a time. God, make us, make us people of peace. In Jesus we pray. Amen.